Okay. So I haven't done this in a while, so sorry if I make little mistakes. Uh, I'm going to ask for that grace. But uh, what are we talking about? Oh, great-grandparents. So if you ever come to my house, what I promise to do is give every single known candy that's in Long's Drugs so that your child will be pumped up when they go home for you. Okay? So that's my promise for you. But in any event, um, we're going to talk about the Book of Jude today. And the Book of Jude is a little bit different. It is the second to the last book before the end of times. And so I'm going to give you a little bit about a doom and gloom, but then I'm also going to give you about a little bit of promise. Uh, before we begin, though, if you could just prepare your hearts, I'd like you to bow your heads, and then if we can just go into prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the spirit of Jude's warnings and exhortations, we humble ourselves before you. Grant us an attentive heart today to hear the words of Jude with clarity and understanding. As I have reflected on the book of Jude, I am reminded of the importance of finishing well in my Christian journey. So we ask, dear Lord, to help us not to be swayed by this world's cultures or this world's temptations, but also in resisting the false teachings that will reside in our churches today. And dear Father, allow us to remain steadfast in our love by the very grace and mercy that you granted us on the cross. In Jesus' precious name, and we all say, Amen. So kind of first, before um, we begin with Jude, we, we, I want to give you a small summary. And the summary is about the short stories of the good news that Pastor Glenn had asked us to kind of complete. And we're kind of getting towards that tail end. But Pastor Glenn had done all of the books of John's 1, 2, and 3. And this is what his real summary was about. He was saying this. How do you live within the kingdom of God among our imperfections? And he shared this. It's a process of transformation. We have to change. We have to become more like Christ through changing who we are into who God would like us to be. And then uh, later, Pastor Jeff came in and he spoke on Philemon. And his theme was about, <clears throat> you've got a friend in me. And I like that because it's about Toy Story, right? But his actual message was this, the willingness for Christians is to advocate for others through the unity of our love for Christ and forgiveness. And then last week we heard on Chad and he gave a powerful message on Titus. And this is what he said. And this is probably more important today than at any time and in any other generation at any time in history. And you've seen it today simply by the act that when we came up here to do this child dedication, you know, we see the next generation. And so in Chad's talk he said this, how do we train the next generation? The next generation of leaders, of pastors, of deacons, of teachers. This is actually can only be done by the believers today. Not outside, not by the culture today, not what we see and what we are influenced by that. But he says, we have to also do this, but not in a polemic way, not a political way but by educating through God's love. 
And so today's talk around Jude, I want you to remember these three themes, okay? Because I'm gonna kinda talk about it, and then I'm gonna also talk to you about what Jude is giving us in warnings. Um, so I'm gonna read uh, slide, yeah, I'm gonna read the, the verses in slide one and two first. And then I'm gonna ask you to stand and read uh, the verses three and four. And <clears throat> I haven't come up here for a while. And so <laughs> yesterday night I had them stand and about 20 minutes later I see Pastor Glenn was walking by, back and forth and he was waving his hands. And the reason why was the people were still standing after 20 minutes. So the rule is when I finish with verse three and four, just sit down, okay? <laughs> just sit down because I'm not gonna remember. Um, so as we begin with Jude one and two, uh, before I begin, here's the thing about Jude. Um, it's a very short epistle. Uh, second to the last book, it has only one chapter and only 25 verses. So as we begin to talk to you about how does Jude also teach us how to protect ourselves and the family, it only gonna take you about 10 or 15 minutes to read. Jude is also addressing this to only a specific group of people. He's actually only talking to Christian believers, to the Jewish believers, okay? And the reasons behind this that's important is because as we keep rounding about this theme about how do we protect the church, he's gonna sit there and give you these answers. There are gonna be three major themes. He's gonna be talking about the false teachings that have come from the outside. He's gonna talk to you about how do you lose your faith? Because this great apostasy towards the end is what Satan wants to do, is to remove as many Christians away from God. And then the last thing is he's going to teach us though, how do you know God intimately? And so when we read the first book of Jude, I think it's up there, right? I'm gonna read that. So it says in Jude one to two, Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He says to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. So two things about this that comes out is first thing, <clears throat> the Hebrew name for Jude is called Yehuda, and we call the Christ Yeshua. Yehuda actually means Judas. So most times I, when, I, when I began doing this study, I was wondering, why would he not have just left his name as Judas and he le instead of putting the derivative of Jude? In the days of ancient Jerusalem, the actual name of Judas was quite popular. Today, I don't know that anybody would name their child Judas, who is a believer, right? And simply because of what it carries. So there are actually about four people who are named Judas in the Bible. And you guys can go ahead and look that up, but I will give you three. Three, okay. First one, was the one that we all know, right? Judas is a chariot. And this is the one who betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? The second Judas is actually the apostle. But they kept calling him Judas is a chariot, the apostle. So after a while they changed that because they don't want to keep calling him Judas, so his name goes to Thaddeus. And then this other Judas is here. But here's the thing about this Judas. This Judas says, uh, I am the brother of James. And then he says, I am the servant. This Greek term for servant is actually called doulos. 
Doulos means I am the bond servant of Christ. What is interesting though, is if you look, uh, when I ask who was Jude, we see this. <clears throat> it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? So you see, actually Judas is the brother of Christ. And he does not uh, address himself though in verse one and two as, uh, my brother is Jesus Christ. Instead he says, I'm, a, I'm his bondservant. I am his slave. And I began to wonder, why is that? And then I looked at my own life and, and I have a brother. <clears throat> And so I hope he doesn't watch this service. But um, he used to be kind of a, um, a kind of a bad boy. Not real bad, but kind of bad. Yeah, he was bad. Anyways, anytime somebody would pick at me in high school, um, you know, all I had to say was, oh, you know, my brother is Bob, he. And you know, everybody would just back off, like, whoa, man, this is your brother, oh yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it commanded this authority. It commanded this power, this kind of a, this kind of a thing, right, status. But here you see Jude not doing that. And I began to wonder why. And this is probably what occurs. So when Jesus is growing up, and now he turns 12, just like the generation that we have, he sits in the temple and he begins to preach. And now he began to see this authority of Christ coming through. And all these people in the temple began to say, what is going on here? We have a child talking with such authority, knowledge, power. Then he becomes a little bit older and he's now finally being filled with the power of the Spirit. And he begins to go into the synagogues and he begins to change people's minds. And now his parents are trying to come to collect him. His, his brothers and sisters are trying to come and collect him. And he says, who is my father? Who is my brother? Who is my son, right? And so these guys were probably thinking all this time, my brother's a little wacko, right? That's a little different. But then now in Acts 1, he bears himself on the cross and he dies for every single one of us. And then he's resurrected. And so in Acts 1, James, who now becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church, who was never an apostle, and Jude, who now becomes an apostle of Christ, says, I am the bondservant of Jesus Christ. Because now he puts all the authority on Jesus. So, so many of us in a Christian church, sometimes we come in, <clears throat> and in the outside influence, sometimes you might hear something kind of weird, right? Um, oh, hi, my name's Clarence, I'm a male Christian. Sounds weird, right? Or, hi, my name is Manella. I'm a female Christian. So in our society today, that is how sometimes that it inculcates, comes into our church, and people identify themselves. But God says, no, who's the most important? Who has the greatest authority, right? The other thing he says on, in, in this uh, area is called to. So you have to remember who is being called. You see all these people here? That's a lot. This is probably the largest I've seen in our church, so we have to be grateful for that. But imagine that this is the generation. And Chad, Chad said this so poignantly, right? Now imagine if this entire generation in this room is gone overnight. Who teaches all of the children? Society. 
the culture. And what Chad was saying when we are supposed to stand up is we're supposed to take charge, right? So in Jude, what he's saying though, be careful because out that door, your children are going to see false teachings. And if that false teaching comes into our very church, the person who sits next to you will also share that false teaching. But this is what he says in Jude 3 to 4, and then I'm going to ask you guys to stand now. Okay? You guys got to stand. <laughs> or else I cannot read. Okay. So if you folks can all read this, put this to heart on every single word. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, and I think we can sit, yo. Better. Okay, so now, let's unpack it. So one of the things that I wanted to unpack was this. <clears throat> when you see this word here, he uses this word about, I wanted to talk to you about Jesus. I wanna talk to you about Jesus Christ. I wanna talk to you about our salvation. But now I'm compelled, I am actually forced to pivot. I wanna pivot because something is occurring in our society. And I want you to keep two things in mind. The pivoting that he's doing is what is occurring in Jerusalem and just within 30 to 40 years after Christ has died. The society is already trying to pivot and switch and change the thought of who Jesus Christ was. And then at the same time, I want you to think about our society today and how our society has pivot so that how sometimes our very churches sometimes changes words, okay? Two different times, but still occurring at the same time, okay? This word compelled means I'm forced to, I'm, I have to. Now the next word that he comes into, he says, to urge you to contend for the faith. Now what that means in, in the Greek language, and my dear friend, Pastor Brian would know this, right? Epago nitsemai, epago nitsemai. When you start listening to the inside word, it means agonize. He's saying, I want you to agonize for your faith. Now the New Living Translation makes it a little bit easier for us to understand. What he's actually saying is, I wanna talk to you about Christ, but I'm compelled now because I gotta switch guns and I want you to defend your faith. I want you to defend your faith that what at one time was given to you by God. And why? I sat there and said, why, 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 why? Because the next one, he says, because now there will be those whose condemnation was prophesied. There will be those who are now a part of your church. There will be those who will pervert. And the word pervert in our concept sounds like, wow, this is something really terrible. Like I, I come over here and I take off my shirt. That's pretty bad. But I won't do that, promise. But what pervert actually means is this. It just twists. That's all it is. A little twist in the word. A little twist in scripture 
that makes it sound like, yeah. And what Jude is going to actually refer to as we move down this list is this. He's saying we all have immorality and we have all sinned in our lives. But sometimes society says, is it really a sin? Did, is it really? Is God really saying that? Right? And now you're going to have that choice. And this is why Jude is about falling away from the faith. Because sometimes we hear that little twist and we start to question and say, is that really true? Maybe, maybe not, right? This is what the book of Jude is going to take you down. Now, he's going to introduce then this sin into our faith. And then eventually, if you take the sin, the next step does this. He says, and then eventually you deny who and what Jesus Christ actually stands for. That's what Satan is attempting to do. Okay? And so <clears throat> Jude says this. Guard your hearts. Guard your minds. In the time of Jerusalem now. So we take it back here. Right? What was, what was the thing that was changing within just 30 years after Jesus Christ died for us? died for every single believer because it's only about believers now. He said, remember, when after about another generation, they're going to forget my name. After two generations, they won't even know what I stood for. After three generations, they're going to start making things up. And so what occurs is this. There is a belief during that time that we know called Gnosticism or Docetisms. What these beliefs were this. The Gnosticism says, did Christ really exist? And I want, to, I want to take you back real quickly to Genesis. What happened in Genesis in the Garden of Eden when the snake approached Adam and Eve? Well, if it's a guy, you want to say approached Eve, yeah? Well, better not. So, so when the snake, when the serpent approaches them, what does he say in Genesis 3? He says, did God really say that? Did God really make that as a commandment that you shouldn't eat of this, right? So in the very same thing now, after three or four generations, He's saying the same thing, right? And basically in the Gnosticism faith, they were believing this. There is a human, and Jesus Christ did exist. Fully divine, fully human, okay? But, you know, we know that fully human is flesh. Fully human is full of sin. So therefore, we, if, if the spirit is good and the flesh is bad, then they can't be together. So therefore, anything you want to do, don't worry about it because you can do anything, because once you become into the spirit, you're protected. So kind of like the same thing that God says, right? Except for just a little twist. And so in today's society, that's exactly what occurs. Um, I am preparing a trip for Fiji with uh, Dr. Akamine. And um, Hale, Hale is such an interest, I just love Hale. But we, we started off with eight days. And then it went to nine days, and then now 10 days. And now I think he's trying to tell me to get to 11. I told him, Hale, I don't want to live in Fiji. <laughs> but here's the real reason why. is because all the churches are under fire. Because the society out there is bringing in what they believe is good and asking the church to change. Now, we all come broken. Every single person in here has sinned. For you who tell me right now you haven't, you should go out the door because it's not true, right? We've all sinned. We all come broken. 
And we come in this here because Jesus Christ says, I'm going to take your brokenness, I am going to forgive that and take it away, and in place of this, I'm going to put here. But we have to change, right? That's what he's asking each and every one of us to do. But what is occurring in the churches in Fiji right now is they're saying, I am broken, but I don't need to change. Your church needs to change. Your God needs to change. So can you see the twist? Very soft, very subtle, but this is why we have to protect ourselves. And this is what Jude is going to teach you. Uh, now, for expediency, because Jude is so short, you folks only have to go home and read verses five through 16. That's it, okay? These are the examples now that Jude says, well listen, everybody in those new churches are saying this because society pulls us in. God is love, God is good, God is kind. And that is true, right? Because I did a, I did a lecture once on, on the vine, that Jesus Christ is the vine. And if you abide in Jesus, meaning you stay connected, we are the branches, I am the vine, if we stay connected, then the fruit of the Spirit comes out. What is that fruit of the Spirit? Patience, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, love, understanding, right? But if we detach from this, the fruit doesn't come, right? So what he's saying is these are the examples of the people in the Old Testament, because again, Jude was working in the Old Testament. He says this is what happens to those people about who've fallen out of faith, who have questioned my laws, right? And he sits there and he says, I am about love, but I'm also about justice, and God doesn't change. He says, you gotta have both, right? This is what guards us. This is what keeps us within a way so that when all of the small kids, I used to do this with my son, and I don't know if the parents have done this. Barry, I don't know if you've done this with Sonny, but he wants to run across the street and you know the, sh the cars are running. The first thing you do is you grab your child and you hold them. And you know, when Christopher was younger, he kept pulling back, no, 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 no. And you, know, it, and, and you grab tighter and you hold tighter because you know what the result would be. So I used to just say, go then, go. I'm just kidding, I did not do that. <laughs> I did not do that, okay. But this is what he is saying now. If we let ourselves go, if we don't keep ourselves guarded, our hearts and mind, this is what happened. The Exodus, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, these were the chosen people. God said in the Bible, it is the Jewish nation through Abraham. Then he puts them in Egypt in bondage and you say to yourself, why do you do that? Well, a couple reasons. During the intertestamentary period, the 400 year period that God is building the nation of Israel from Joseph, he needs to build an army of Israelites. So it takes time. After 400 years, they have, anybody have a guess, right? 1.2 million men. With their women and their children, they carry close to 1.5 to 2 million people across the desert. But God says, now I take you out of bondage and I give you redemption. So the Jewish people are happy initially, but then they get to the Red Sea, they see the Pharaoh coming across, and what happens? Their faith switches. 
Oh, wow, God, you put, wow, low, low, you bugger, right? You put me right here, and now the guy's right there with the chariots, and we're going to die. So he opens up the Red Sea, and then they're saved, right? It's just like our baptism. We come out of the water old. We go in the water old. We come out of the water new. He takes them to Sinai, and after 40 days, they lose patience for God. Their faith switches again. He comes down, Moses comes down with the tablets, the law, but he sees a golden calf their fake idol, their faith switches so easily. But now here's the crux in Exodus. He finally takes them to the promised land. This is the very part in the Old Testament that 1.2 million men have been teaching their sons and daughters and all of their children and their wives that this is the land that God has taken us to, right? So he sends in 12 men. So what happens? Ten come back and say, oh, no, 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 Lord, no, no, no. These guys are big. They're, they're, they're sumo style. You know, they're just huge, right? Nephilim type people. They've got the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all these different. We, we just can't conquer them. I don't believe you, God. I, I just don't have that faith. But two do, Joshua and Caleb. And they say, but no, Lord, you said we can do it. This is the land, the promised land of the horn and plenty, right? Honey and, and, and all that stuff, right? Great stuff. But they keep complaining. So finally, as the punishment, he says, fine. If you think you can't do it and you don't have the faith that I gave you, then the punishment was what? 40 years wandering through the desert and an entire generation of people all of us, gone. Right? That's, that's the punishment now. Second one, he now goes to the celestial beings. And if you look at this in Revelations 12, what that was, <coughs> was there was obviously an angel. And, and we now call him Satan. But at the time, this angel was above all angels, right? And he now begins to say, my faith is no longer in Christ. My faith is in me. I am better than others. He takes one-third of the stars. If you read Revelation 12, you're going to hear it saying stars. Stars is a euphemistic or metaphorical term for saying he takes a third of the angels. And they now do battle with the archangel Michael, right? And the battle clashes. And, of course, we know who wins, God. But these one-third of angels, some of them end up in earth. And this is what we now know as demonical, demonic spirits. You know, sometimes where people are, are, are taken in by demonics. The other third or the other portion of these angels, we don't know the exact number, but these were the worst of the worst. Those angels were placed in a place called the darkness of the darkness of the abyss. And so one of the things I shared with uh, the, the first people who came in this morning was what that actually means is this. If you go into a closet, uh, put, put a blindfolder over your eyes and then get those... Uh, um, what do you call those earmuffs, right, that you cannot hear, and then just sit in there. That's kind of like what God was saying. These were the worst of the worst. I am going to put them into an isolation and hold them. But here's the scary part. He's also telling you folks that at the end of judgment, he's going to release these people. So if we're not ready as a people, this is what happens. Sodom and Gomorrah was a secular nation. So this was like going into a city that says... I'm an unbeliever. I don't need God. I don't need, I will make our own God. 
we'll make our own rules and we'll make everything. And in fact, we'll allow this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. So in Fiji, there's a group of people in sports. And um, I, I remember growing up, I used to always hear that basketball commercial be like, well, this is how it is in, in Fiji right now. So these people are so well, um, uh, they, they like these people so much, right? That everybody wants to be like them. Well, recently they've now gone into the church and said, this church loves us. This church welcomes us. And in fact, this church says, we don't have to change. There's nothing wrong with us. We're not broken. So therefore, this is the church we should all follow. And now, this is what he's telling you again in, in, um, as an example, right? That in Sodom and Gomorrah, these people were essentially destroyed. How do we then know who are the false teachings? He describes them as this. He says that these are ungodly people. And these are people on the strength of their dreams will pollute their bodies. What does that mean? What it means is this. <clears throat> Could be the person next to you, but I hope not, yes. So don't look next to the person. But anyways, dreams is not dreaming in terms of what I do. And I, I, I sometimes get these dreams about God and I'll wake up and I'll share it with Laurie. These are the kinds of dreams that men just think in their mind. And these are dreams of lust, of evil. And he's saying this is what they, the kinds of teachers that we will have. And what they really are, are fruitless trees and waterless clouds. And so just like that vine, right? If I become the branch and Jesus is the vine and I'm connected, the fruit comes out and it's gotta be good. But if I'm not connected to him and I'm connected to a false teaching, then the fruit is fruitless. And the clouds have, have clouds, but no water. And so he then goes back to this thing about, and then they go into the blackness of darkness. If you go to Luke 8, in the New Testament, they now teach you what is the blackness of darkness. So in the blackness of darkness, if you remember when Christ was going across the Sea of Galilee, and then he goes to this place called um, Gennesaret. Sometimes people, you'll read it as the Gadarenes. And he sees the evilest of evil of demons. Now, I'm gonna share one thing with you. When I first started this process in seminary, Pastor, Pastor Glenn says, hey, you, you, you like go see this kind of stuff? I said, no. And he goes, no, you like to see this kind of stuff where people, uh, you know, they have this kind of demon possession. And I remember The Exorcist, the movie. I said, no, no, I don't, I don't need to go. But he wants me to experience these things because some of these things are truly real. So when I went there, this gentleman sat there and he told me, you know, Dr. Clarence, um, what I'm feeling is there's a presence here. So I tried to ask him, what does that mean? And he says, have you ever gone where you're sleeping in bed at night and then your wife comes into bed late at night and she sits next to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, how do you know that she came into bed? I said, well, I, I can feel her, right? Because the bed goes down. And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's what I feel. I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, but I don't have a wife. I don't have anybody. So this, this de demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes, in Gennesaret, okay? Jesus, before he's ready to exercise this, he says, but what's your name? 
and he uses the name legion. Now, if you go back and you look at your Bible, and then you look at the translations, and you go back into the Romans, it says the name of legion means these were the people who fought the wars that captured the entire Mediterranean. And these group of men that they say when they are a legion numbers 6,000. Now, whether or not we truly know in the Bible that that demon had 6,000, we don't really know. But it must have been a lot, and here's the reason why. Because these, these this demons that began to talk to Christ is, okay, okay, exercise us, get us out of here, but don't send us into the blackness of the darkness of the abyss. Because in that, they realize that in Revelation 12, they don't even want to go there. So they said, send us into the swine, which ends up to be 2,000 pigs, right? And so that's what he's now trying to describe with you. He tells you, here's the punishment. And now he tells you, these are the people you need to watch out for. This is the thoughts. These are the things that comes outside from an outside culture that seems to just twist and tells you it's okay. But then he says this. But dear friends, remember this. What the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their ungodly desires. These are the men who will divide you and follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. And so now we look at all of this, right? And we look at Jude and say, and when I first did my uh, commentaries on this and I first had to do my exegetical work, I was like, wow, this is a lot of doom and gloom. And I have to tell you this, um, the eight o'clock or six o'clock service yesterday, it was really bad because it was a lot of doom and gloom and I came home and I said, I can't do that. And then this morning I came in and I saw all these beautiful kids and God speaks to me and he goes, there's a promise I gave you. He says, you didn't finish the last end of the story because I left you something in Jude that says, hey, wait a minute, it's not just about doom and gloom. I've given you another generation. How do you combat for that? This is how. How do we discern? How do we remain focused? Build your faith, grow spiritually. How? It involves reading and studying God's word. Chapter of Jude, one book, 25 verses. If you read fast, I think the person who came in before me today said, I can do it in 10 minutes, Dr. Clarence. You can do it in 15, I can do them in 10. So if you guys can do it in 10 or seven minutes, it's fine. But every day, try to read the Bible. Take one chapter and just read. And then this is what 2 Timothy says, why? Because he said, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit of these areas so that you understand what he's really attempting to teach us. He says that all scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful not only for teaching, not only for rebuking, not only for correcting, but it is useful in training in righteousness so that every servant of God, us, doulos, doulos, the bondservant of Jesus Christ, may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. That's the first one. Read the Bible. Find a good friend. Talk story. I have three really good, good friends. Well, actually, I have 
I shouldn't say that. I have a lot of good friends. But I, there are three people who I rely upon on the Bible. And what we do is we read, and then I call them every week, and we talk. And I learn. And, I, and we discuss. And sometimes I don't agree with what they say. Sometimes I do. But that's what God wants us to do, right? As a body of church, every single one of us has to find somebody. And then he says this. In Jude 1.20, pray. Pray. By praying in the Spirit, we receive the help that we need in understanding God's truth so that we will not be deceived by the false teachers or false teaching. And so in 2021, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you an eternal life. And so sometimes people, when we read this, the commentary says in praying in the Holy Spirit, there is the gift, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit where we do speak in tongues. And that, that is okay. But in this instance and in this context, what he's actually telling you is this. Pray with all your heart. Pray with all your mind. Pray with all your intentions. Ask God, the way I do this, is before I came on this, I, I don't like to come on this stage because I, I, I am technically introverted. But here's the funniest part. I went to karaoke the other day with a really good friend, Dr. Akamine. And you know, I don't like to sing either. But you know, Dr. Akamine, I, I, I love you, so just make sure. But Dr. Akamine goes, and his face is like, you know, and, and he really does sound good. But after a while, you get pulled in by this because you can see his heart is so joyous, right? And he's just singing and he's just enjoying himself that I am starting to sing. Does anybody remember Andy Williams, by the way? Matt Malone? Okay, no good. Beatles. Beatles? Okay, we got one. My goodness gracious. Am I? Okay, but anyways, okay, we're going to take that back. Okay, so the praying in the Spirit is one of the most important things. And this is what I do when I say I pray in the Spirit. I actually go in a quiet room, and I actually go on my knees. Sometimes it comes out in tongues. But what it really does is when I go to my knees, God knows, you really want to talk to me. When you worship, we should never sing songs to just sing the words. The worship is a powerful tool that if you sing, the human brain, the way it works, is it hits the left side of the brain as an objective word. It says love. That love transposes across the corpus callosum to the right side, and immediately it hits 10, well, if you're like me, a thousand different sides, because I'm so brilliant, right? Just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. But it hits so many different sites on the right side of the brain. I love my dog, I love my wife, I love, my, I love food, I, I love God. And then it sends all these messages back to the left side of my corpus callosum, to the left side of my executive function brain, and it says, which one is it? Which one is it? And then it seeks that. It's, ah, it's God you want to talk about today. It sends another message going to this side. And it says, I need to pray. I need to find abstract constructs of what does love mean. I need to find all of this. And then he shoots back something else to the left side. And eventually, almost foul, thank you. See, I talk so long, yeah, sorry. So anyway, so, um, so when it finally hits there, it then goes into what we call the seed of our emotions, which is the amygdala. And that limbic system then sends this message to the heart. 
And that's how we pray. That's how we change. That's how we sing. Okay? That's what God says. So, on the last stage, and I only got two more slides, so I'll get off. Um, he says, also below, you need to remain in God's love. He says, staying in God's love means this, living a life by our faith. Because Jude, again, was saying, if you turn away from your faith, what else do you have? And obedience to God. Why obedience? Because in this time and frame, we are going to be going out these doors in about 10 minutes. And um, I was going to say 100 minutes, but that's not good yet. 10 minutes. And, and, and so we're going to need to know both to keep this generation safe, but the next. And so he says in Jude 1.22, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire and to others show mercy. Mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, what did I say? Well, in Fiji, remember, even though that those people are trying to change us, well, it doesn't make me better. I've sinned too. So I need to still be able to say, I, how did it go, Jasmine? I love the sinner? No, I hate the sin. No. I hate the sinner. No. <laughs> Sorry. I, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. Right? Okay. So that is what he's actually saying. That is what he's saying. Okay? Okay. So you guys are giving me grace. Thank you. That was tough. Okay. Last slide before we pray. What does doxos mean and, and logos? Logos is always the word, the word of God. But logos also means spiritual praise and worship. Doxos mean we praise. So when you, read, when you read this with me, I will read it. You read it silently. You talk to God and you praise him. Because it's not about me. Nothing to do with me. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. So what is he actually saying? We will be faced with a choice to choose the glory of Christ or to fall away. It'll be our choice until there will be no more time. Can we pray? If you can bow your heads. Thank you, Mike. <clears throat> I'm going to just take a sip of water, sorry. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from Jude to forewarn and guide us in our walk with the body of Christ. We must learn to grow spiritually by reading your words daily, by knowing truth through ardent and authentic prayer. And finally, dear Lord, in living a life by faith and obedience to God. It is my prayer today, dear Father, to help us here at New Hope Kapole and to actually all of the people who come to remove all barriers within our own church. Within each and every one of our hearts, Make us truly seek your love, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' precious name, and we all say amen. 
Thank you for tuning in to the New Hope Kapolei Lei Messages podcast. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message and that it brought you inspiration and encouragement in your journey of faith. If you'd like to listen to more messages or stay connected with us, visit our website at newhopecapolei.org or follow us on social media. Remember, no matter where you are in life, there is always hope and a new beginning in Christ. So let's continue to grow and learn together as we pursue a life of purpose and impact. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Aloha and God bless.